Hey, Shift Impact Build listeners. This is the second episode of a series of bonus episodes we are going to be releasing this fall where members of the Bronx Academic Response Team will come on the show and reflect on episodes from season one. Season two will be coming out later this fall, so stay tuned. In early June, Adelia, Chris, and I sat down to talk with Dr. Shannon Waite, a clinical assistant professor of educational leadership at Fordham University. Prior to coming to Fordham, Dr. Waite worked in various positions in the New York City Department of Education. She has two daughters attending New York City DOE public schools and is an active member of the PTA and school leadership team. In March of 2018, Dr. Waite was appointed to the Panel for Educational Policy, or PEP, as a mayoral appointee. In episode four, we talked with Dr. Waite about challenging the inequities and anti-blackness in education and how as educators, it is our responsibility to create equitable learning experiences for all our students in our classrooms, schools, and systems. We all have to be working together to end racist policies and practices in schools and society. I am joined today by Lisette Aguilar, another member of the Bronx Academic Response Team who has been on the podcast before and did a special episode on improvement science and remote learning. Today, we are going to reflect on what we learned from episode four with Dr. Waite. I feel like I have to acknowledge that when we recorded our episode with Dr. Waite, it was just days after the murder of George Floyd. The protests over police brutality and the treatment of black people by police that were sparked by George Floyd's death are still happening across the country today. During the week that this was recorded, Jacob Blake was shot in the back several times by police when he walked away from them and tried to get into his car and he is now paralyzed. We have a lot of work to do to show that black lives really matter. So welcome. Thanks for joining me today, Lisette. Um, What are some things that might have stood out to you from the episode with Dr. Waite? It's interesting that you started the recap uh, reminding us that when we had first, uh, when the the episode was first recorded, um, the country was dealing with the death of George Floyd. And then you brought us back to present day with the recent shooting of Jacob Blake. uh, Because one of the things that I had noted that it stood out to me from Dr. Waite's interview is how she talks about um, she talks about how the government broke its contract with the people right she points out that the government is here to serve and protect us and there's a contract in that and so in that contract it's not that we as citizens allow for uh, losses but more we allow for certain limitations of certain liberties as a result of that protection, right? In return for that protection. But when the government breaks uh, this contract or when police start shooting at its own citizens because of racist ideologies, then there's a problem, right? That That's where the problem is. And we need to renegotiate and challenge that contract and speak up. So that's what we see happening with the protests um, that have been happening recently. I have to say that when I listened to Dr. Waite, I, this happened the first time I heard the episode, and it happened again this time. I start to, I, I get so inspired that I start to envision myself as a school building leader, mm-hmm. talking to my teachers the first few days of school and kind of talking about um, our, our responsibility and our role as, as educators. And so 
um, that's what happens when I hear her. She inspires me to be a better leader. So, um, but yeah, that, and th- there were just so many things. Was there anything that stood out to you, Caitlin? Um, one of the things that I, listening to it again recently, really reflected on was that um, she talked about, you know, how teachers, particularly in white homes, grew up some teachers watching racist television shows, you know, and I was thinking about my own, you know, my own upbringing and growing up and things like that were never shown in my household. Things that were like overtly racist were not things that I would ever see on TV that would not be tolerated in my house. Um, but it made me really think about how, yeah, those things weren't shown, but we never talked about race in my household either, you know? So it's taken a lot, um, I guess of unlearning on my part, especially this summer to think about like, what does it mean to be white? And what, like, as what is my race as a white person? Um, how does the culture of whiteness impact like my whole life that I've been able to take for granted this whole time? I never really thought that race impacted my life. Um, because, you know, I wasn't watching these racist things. So that must mean that everything is going well. Um, so I think for me that really, um, you know, re-listening back and like reflecting on my own childhood, um, I'm like, you know what, just because you're not watching things that are racist, if you're not having conversations about race, something, something's getting lost, you know, either way. Um, so that, that's kind of something that's been on my, my heart and mind since re-listening. Yeah, she. I remember in the in in the episode, she talks about um, her job as a disruptor of inequity, and one of the things she says is about developing a critical consciousness in leaders, so that they can, like you said, um, peel back racism either within themselves um, or within their fellow colleagues, etc., so that we can do the work that we need to do. So. That also, that was also a piece that resonated with mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Let's listen back to hear more about how Dr. Waite develops future school building leaders. I am preparing educational leaders to be strategic disruptors for equity by um, requiring that they understand, first and foremost, that that is their job. Um, and mm-hmm. if you are going to be a school leader um, and you are going to say that you are invested in all children and in the education of all children and in equitable spaces for kids and communities, you are required. And so first and foremost, just whether you say it or not, it's your job, right? To be a social justice and equity oriented leader. Mm -hmm. Um, And particularly for those people who like to sort of like um, use that as like the the, they like to hold up that mantra that that's the work that they're doing because it's the latest buzzword or the latest trend uh, in education, just to sort of hold them accountable for understanding that, yes, it is their responsibility. Um, I do that in a number of ways. Um, chief among them is my commitment to developing the critical consciousness of educational leaders. Uh, I understand that education in this country is inherently racist. I understand that the foundation of this country, mm-hmm. at, the, at the core of the foundation of this country, is a sentiment of anti-Blackness. Um, and I understand that those are the principles mm-hmm. in which uh, the country and education was founded. You know, um, Adelia, you had said something just a few minutes ago about <clears throat> Black people not being considered when the Constitution was drafted. We were considered, right? Uh, we were three-fifths of a person. 
right? So so that would have been black men. Right. Um, black women, I'm not really sure what we were. Um, and so Mm-mm. at the foundation of the country is um, the foundation of the country sort of stated our value in this country, right? Um, and so black folks are three-fifths of a person at the foundation of the country. I understand that there were amendments and there are updates and all of those things, like, you know, all of the amendments that came afterwards. (laughs) However, it's really, really important that no one went back and was like, nah, we crossing that out. (laughs) No one went back and was like, we retract that. Mm -hmm. No, they were like, this is what we said before, but we're going to amend that here, right? They amended it on paper. They never amended the ideology, right? And they have, there have been laws and mm-hmm. there have been policies that have concretized the depreciation of Black people in this country. And because this system was never built for us, we were never thought of. Um, it was illegal to educate Black people in this country and Mm -hmm. that sentiment lives on to educate it through education today like all of this work that's being done reforms are being done not by people or at least i'm going to say this i'm going to say that it's my hope that it's not being done by people who have i'm going to retract that too some people have ill will towards black people right (laughs) i it's my hope that most people Mm -hmm. um want I think that most people are well-intentioned and we know that the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? And so I think that there are a lot of well-meaning, middle-of-the-road, like all lives matter perspective people who want to um, ignore the blatant and inherent racism that is interwoven and threaded throughout education and all the systems in this country. And it's you, you can't you cannot continue to put bandages on a gaping wound and expect anything to change. What really has to happen is we have to peel back the layers, commit to being comfortable, being uncomfortable and dig in to do the work that is necessary mm. to shift mindsets. And this is for white people and for people of color alike. Yeah, I mean, even like when I had class with her, she'd be like, if you don't feel like you have a seat at the table, you need to drag that chair right to it, you know? So um, we had a lot of conversations about like, what would we go to the mat for? Um, and what would we really, you know, step up and say like, this this is not okay. Um, and I appreciated her really pushing us in class. Um, so, you know, just thinking about the interview, I'm like, okay, I'm hearing what Dr. Waite's saying and it's making me think like, what am I gonna do? Um, how am I going to change what I've been doing as an art specialist, what our team has been doing, um, to take some of the learning away from that episode and apply it to the way that we are doing our work. And one of the things that really has been resonating with me is she said something um, along the lines of like, how do you live your values? And I think as a team, we've been really trying to prioritize our work around equity. Um, And, you know, we developed the micro teams where we had a data team, a podcast team, Um, a website team professional learning so that we could ensure that we still 
focused on equity. Um, but it's something that I think we're going to have to really make sure we prioritize come the fall when we're going to be pulled in all these different directions. Um, and so as a team, myself, I want to make sure that I'm thinking about every single day, like how am I going into the work to you know, disrupt and dismantle those those systems. And maybe it's just conversations. Um, but I want to think more um, explicitly about how I'm doing that on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, she, you know, calls us to task. Um, towards the end of the interview, uh, she talks about how she speaks to the educational leaders that she's working with. And she says to them, show me where you spend your time and I'll tell you what you care about. And I don't know if those were her exact mm-hmm. words, but that's the sentiment of it. And it's the same thing, you know, so, so that was also a piece that stood out to me when she talks about that, because it's true where you spend your time and where you focus your energy really speaks to what you believe in as an individual and what you're bringing to the table. And, you know, that that includes if you really do care about social justice, if you really do care about the kids that you're working with, then doing that hard work of what she says, um, peeling back the layers, you know, and, and really thinking about, you know, racism and how it's impact us. And so as, as an art team, the fact that we are shining a light on equity in schools or inequity, right, and how they're happening and making sure that um, the leaders that we work with are also paying attention to that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's important. Uh, she had said, um, you know, people are dying, yeah. right? And, and so this is like serious stuff. So if we are, if we are still at a point in our society, where we can't talk about racism, where we can't talk about our own race. Right. And I know she was, uh, like thinking about, you know, she, she talks about how, like, if, if I, if I talk about, you know, uh, white people and whiteness or something that someone does and it gets you in your bag, then that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Like we have to pass it. It's like, okay, you know, um, I wrote it down here. What does she say about um, the can't peel back? It's not a death sentence. You know, yep. race, having a racist ideology isn't the death sentence that it was. It once was, you know, like like espousing that. It's not doing anything about it. Yep. That becomes a sentence for someone else. Yeah. Right. And so I thought that was important, too. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's like, I think... Um... You know, it's like, how do you have those conversations or how do we continue to have those conversations with like the teachers and the leaders we work with where it's like this practice that you are doing in school is like negatively impacting your black and brown students and getting them to move away from being called out on that practice to actually like that like heart and mind shift to doing something about it. Um, And that's something that we talked a little bit about in Dia's episode that, um, you know, people have these underlying beliefs that make them resistance to do it, to doing new work or, you know, work around, you know, change and school improvement. And sometimes these beliefs will go, they'll never be brought up and they'll never be spoken and they just constantly resist. Um, And so I think, you know, it's like peeling that layer and getting to like, okay, let's put that belief on the table. Let's talk about it. And then, you know, what can we do to change it? What can we do to move away from it rather than you just being like, okay, you called me racist and I'm just going to sit in my feelings forever. Like we got to, we got to do something different to, to help the children. Yeah. And I think that, that, 
I think you're hitting the nail on the head, Caitlin. It's like, it's about addressing the shame because it's about shame. Yeah. Right? It's about feeling shameful and people who in their hearts want to do good. And she, you know, Dr. Wade talks about that, the well-meaning people, right, who want to do good. But I think um, without tackling one's own racism, right, and I'm including everyone, not mm-hmm. just white people, we're mm-hmm. people of color. We're all, we're all, um, uh, all of our lives have, are touched by racism and racist ideology in some way, shape, or form, right? And so um, I think we get stuck in the shame. Yeah. And we don't move past it. So I think we need to say, okay, you, you feel some, you're having some feelings of shame right now. That's, that's normal. That's part of the process. Let's normalize that phase in it and call it out and put it in the room and say, okay, but we have to move past that feeling because if we get stuck there, nothing changes, you know, then, then people are still going to be killed and we're still going to be enacting racist policies without realizing it Mm -hmm. and without doing anything about it. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And giving people like the support and the tools they need to make those changes. You know, I think like I've been doing a lot of reading this summer um, and I'm sure a lot of other people have too. Um, and, you know, I've learned a lot, but now I need to think about like, what can I take from what I learned that I read and like create a tool out of it so I can use it in the day-to-day practice. So it doesn't just get, I mean, it'll help me like maybe disrupt some conversations, but how is it going to actually, how am I taking what I learned and putting it into practice? Um, and I think that's sometimes where people get stuck. So I think our team is, is ready to help give people those tools that they need to, to make those changes. Yeah. You're giving me a lot to think about right now. Cause I think about, um, courageous conversations and the work we, we did with that. Yeah. And so, as art specialists, like how do we, because a a few of us were in that PL, how do we take that into the conversations with the school building leaders that we work with, especially when when we're met with resistance, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, And we're met with resistance for a variety of reasons. One, maybe a school building leader might feel that they are about this work. Yeah. Um, and we call them out and kind of, we're kind of saying to them, well, you missed, you missed something here, you know, like you missed a spot. Like when someone's done cleaning and you point out, you didn't get the spot. Mm-hmm. Like, wait a minute. I, you know, I was diligent. Um, or it could be that they themselves don't accept their own racism at yeah. that time. So there's a variety of reasons why someone might be resistant and us using the tools that we have, um, to work with them are going to be key. Mm-hmm. A lot of, a lot of hard work. <laughs> yeah. A lot of hard work. Um, so Lisa, is there something that um, you want to use from this episode or conversation with Dr. Wait in the upcoming school year or something that you have put into practice already from this episode into your work as an art specialist? Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of touched upon it a little bit already, but I think when engaging with school building leaders, um, normalizing that process of you know, having certain feelings or, or, you know, getting their feelings about when we call certain things out, but kind of popping out that moment in a conversation Mm -hmm. and, and doing something with that. What do we do? How do we handle it? I think as an art team is yet to be figured out as we go into the new school year and we're, we're interacting with principals and, and coming up against those moments. But I think that that is the key moment for us to use our words and our interactions with principals to pivot them, 
right? Um, so I think when she said that, like, we have to get past this moment. And she says she does that in her classes, right? Mm -hmm. Where she's like, okay, you're in your feelings. So that thing that she does with her students is the yeah. thing that I think we need to do with principals. So I, I, I was like, man, I have to take her class. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because... Um... <laughs> Because, you know, we had Michael as our intern, I guess I um, was serving as his, Chris and I were serving as his supervisor. So we, um, he's like, oh, you can, you get like a free credit or something to Fordham. And I'm like, well, you know, as like, is Dr. Waite teaching anything? Because those are the only classes <laughs> that I'm looking yeah. to take at Fordham right now. Um, yeah, I'm at CUNY grad. And I know CUNY is part of a consortium with certain universities. Um, I know NYU and Columbia are two of them. I okay. was like, I wonder if Fordham is one of them because then I'll take a class with her yeah. through the consortium. <laughs> but that was like, as I was listening to I was like, yeah, I need to take a class. I'm going to see if Fordham's part of that consortium. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I definitely think like I approach things differently because I was in her class. Um, you know, and even things like, I mean, I really look back on when, like, school finance is not exciting, you know, it's kind of boring, it's the numbers, um, but she made us really think about, like, what, like, how do your core values show up in your budget, and if a school is, like, top-heavy on administrators, but they say they're all about, you know, student opportunities and community and this and that, but the, the budget isn't showing that, then what do you do, and, like, how do you change your budget to reflect um you know the values that you have and you know, I found that really interesting to think about um and even like you know when we look at schools that are high performing are is is it a high performing school for everyone you know is it's 90 percent graduation rate in four years that that's amazing but what about that 10 percent and who who is that 10 percent um and how do we how do we make that school experience amazing for them so you know those are some of the conversations that we definitely had in her class um and you know I know some people did not appreciate all the feedback that she gave but I I appreciated it because I was like listen I would much rather get the pushback and the feedback here in the safety of this classroom than in front of a school or in front of a superintendent or something like that um so I always appreciated the questioning um yeah that she and gave us school sorry I didn't mean to no, no no um, school budgets, right, and finance, that talks about, that's where that's where a lot of inequity lives in yep. those hidden spaces. And I say hidden because some people take systems and structures for granted. They think that they're agnostic of ideology, and they're not. The systems and structures that school leaders create indicate their own personal ideology. Mm -hmm. They are the They are the direct manifestation of what you believe as an individual. So if you, you know, I, I, I think about this, like, you know, um, as a parent, when I was raising, you know, she's 18, so I'm still kind of raising her. She goes to adults, <laughs> but when I was raising her, it, it, you know, the systems and structures that I created for her um, really demonstrated what I believed in as a parent. Yeah. You know, so at dinner time, we will all talk and share about our day and we will talk about politics because that was something that we believed in. I wanted her to be someone who engaged with life, but who could also express herself. So we didn't have this belief that like children should be seen and not heard. Yeah. No, we had the belief that if you're at the table, you speak mm -hmm. and you listen and you contribute. And so it's the same thing with, with school building leaders, your scheduling, your curriculum, whether or not you put time for teachers to collaborate, what your expectations are when they're collaborating, how teachers talk about children throughout the day, 
Um, what systems and structures you create for the students? Do you have events that celebrate them? All those things really indicate what you believe as a leader and what your school staff believe, because it should also include them. Mm-hmm. Um, and But it becomes hidden. People kind of take that stuff for granted, and they're like, no, no, we're not racist. But, oh, yeah, let's look at what you're focusing on. Yep. What do you hope is important? What are you spending your time on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things I think I'm hoping to bring back into the fall, and like I said this already, um, but I feel like this summer I've done a lot of self-work, um, and that's been important, but now it's like, what am I putting into action on a daily basis from the things I've read, from the conversations that I've had? Um, because you can read a lot of books, but unless you're going to like walk the talk, it's there, no change is going to happen. Um, so I think similarly to what you said about like, how are we shifting those conversations with principals? I think for me, I'm going to try to like pre-plan some of those conversations because I think that helps me to navigate it. If I think about, okay, I want to bring this up today. If the principal says X, how am I going to respond? If the principal says Y, how am I going to respond? Um, and I know, you know, at one point it needs to be more authentic, but I think sometimes the pre-planning helps to, you know, give you a little more motivation that you need, um, to get those conversations to happen. And I think just maybe even having like a daily, okay, what am I doing today or this week that is contributing to like anti-racist work? Um, so I'm like holding myself more accountable because I feel like it's easy to get caught up in the day to day. And especially as a white person, I, I can my, remove myself from the situation. Um, and I don't want to do that. So I want to hold myself more accountable, especially this fall. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that because I feel like as a woman of color, um, there's a, like, there's an experience of, because the majority of our leaders are white. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have to think and pre-plan I mean, for any leader that I'm going to speak to, but specifically when I'm going to speak with a white leader, how I'm going to handle that conversation so that I am heard. So, and this is what I was saying before, right? We're all, we're all touched by racist, racism and racist ideologies in different ways. And so as a person of color speaking to a white leader or speaking to someone who assimilates with whiteness, right? Because you could have people of color in leadership positions who assimilate and and are very close to whiteness. Mm Um, and you know, you can, you can hear that in how they self blame or, or have some kind of, um, self hatred that comes out in blaming communities of color for, you know, things like that. And so, um, then how do I handle that conversation, right? Recognizing that I am racialized in this society. Mm -hmm. So a white person's perception of me is going to be taken one way. And the things that I'm saying is going to be taken a a certain way. And so if I want to be effective, then I have to think and plan as well, you know? So it'll be interesting for us to, to take notes um, because I'm sure, I don't know, I'm, I, I'm not a white person, but I'm sure when you, when you as a white person speak to another white person and you're coming at it from a different perspective, there, there might yep. be some shocking reaction yep. to that, <laughs> like you betraying or I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've had that experience before in schools when it's like, how I'm not like, there was a situation where someone said something about white privilege, and I was not outraged by it. I was like, 
I know as a white person, I have privilege. That doesn't change the hard work that I've done. But that means that, like, because I was white, some things were easier for me. And people were outraged that I was like, I'm not I'm not offended by this, you know. Um, So you never know. (laughs) Yeah, I, 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 uh, it's, I, I have a similar experience when I call out people of color who align themselves with whiteness, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, no, no, that's what you're doing. You got, <laughs> we got to talk about it. That's what we all so at some point. Yeah. Uh, we tend to fall into that. Maybe more of us than others because it's just easy. It's like easy to go to, to want to be with the, with the quote unquote winning team. It's easy to want to hide and not it's a self-preservation thing right yeah. so um but we have to catch it yep you know we have to we have to say nope we're not we're not gonna divide ourselves you know to my latino educational leaders we're not gonna like um isolate and ignore the fact that we have black students and that we're ostracizing them and we're not going to ignore the fact that in our society, that is something that is promoted for self-preservation, you know, and, and so, no, we have to, we have to nail it and we have to call it for what it is and, and, and end it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so. I think even in this moment of, um, you know, like celebrating women's voting rights, like a hundred years for voting rights. I was so looking, I know I was so excited, you know, this spring about it. And I'm like, this is so monumental. And then I started reading a little bit more about like the suffragette movement. And then I read Ibram Kendi's book stamped. And I was like, wait a minute, this changes everything that I have previously come to know that, you know, when we say it was a hundred years of voting for women, we're only talking about white women. And Mm -hmm. even when they were fighting for their voting rights, they were putting, you know, their black and brown women that were voting with them down. um, And even saying like black men shouldn't have the right to vote when they first got the right, you know, their rights to vote. So um, I think it's really interesting. And, you know, it's like, you have to be able to like challenge those beliefs that you once held as like sacred and saying like, okay, when, I believe this for one way because that's how I was taught. But now that I know something different, I have to look at both sides of the story. And sure, you know, them the women getting the right to vote was monumental, but it wasn't for everyone. And we have to keep, we have to acknowledge that. We can celebrate the one, but then we have to acknowledge that that didn't include everyone. Um, and we have to, you know, a hundred years from the 60s, we should be celebrating that everyone had the right to vote. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and, it's like, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say, it's, you know, that's 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 why it's so important to, for everybody to learn our history, right? I think, and really learn all aspects of it and all viewpoints of it. And it's something that, as a country, we're straying more and more away from. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna, it's, it, you know, there's a saying, right? Those who who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And that's what we're seeing now. Yep. I'm I'm writing a history paper for my grad program on the history of education, and you know, one of the the key purposes behind public schooling in this country is at the onset after the War of Independence for this country, and it was all for, for white males mm-hmm. at that time because that's who this country was built for at that time. Um, but one of the things that they said was that our citizens need to understand how we function as a republic and their civic duties so that they can operate them in a way that doesn't get 
you know, doesn't lead us down the road of demagoguery, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the citizens have to be intelligent enough to think through things and not follow like zealot beliefs. And yet here we are in this time, you know, place and time in history and look at who our president yep. is. And I wonder if it has to do with the fact that his history education has been, you know, uh, very heavily attacked yeah. in this country over the last 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. People don't know their history. Right. And they don't know the real history. And so it's a problem. And it's like whatever the teacher wants to teach, you know, they're teaching that, they're highlighting that. Um, and you, you lose out on a lot of learning that maybe yeah. would have changed your perspective. Even with the voting rights, like, there was an active point in that history of women's suffrage where they made an active decision to break away from women of color. Mm -hmm. Like, there was conversations, like, you can find primary documents where initially it was all women. Yep. And then it like, oh, no, wait a minute, because the husbands were making pressure you know, the white husbands, the white landowners were making pressure on their white wives and, and white women. And it was like, you got to pick. Yeah. Either we keep our power as a family so then you can't align yourselves with black women um, or we're going to lose power. So then it's like, okay, no, just, you know, voting rights for white women. Mm -hmm. So those are all key points in American history that have to be taught so we can start tackling racism. Yeah. Again, systems and structures, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> systems and structures. Coming back to that, a lot. You know, it all—it's all cyclical for the most part. Yeah. Um, so, Lisa, is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners about our episode with Dr. Waite? Um, I think we touched upon the the big ideas of what Dr. Wade discussed. The one thing that she also said that stood with me is that, you know, as educators and as leaders, um, if you're inherently racist, which the majority of our country is, mm -hmm. and, and again, mm -hmm. not, not just not just white people, we all hold some kind of racist ideology in us. We don't just press a button and take that off when we yeah. go into the classroom to the school building. You know, and so we have to you know, it's like, what is, is it for Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever? Acknowledgement is the first step. Yep, yep. <laughs> so acknowledging the fact that racism is a part of um, the culture of our country and, and the ideology and, and the values is the first step. And then saying, OK, then you can say, I need to I can't peel it off when I go into that classroom. So I need to do some work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, um, it, you know, it goes back to what you were saying earlier about that shame. Like some teachers probably have, you know, seen things on the news this summer that they're not okay with, but they don't know how to say, okay, maybe I previously engaged in a similar practice or something like that because of that shame. And it's like, just like that alcoholic, right? Like they're not getting the help they need because they're afraid to ask for it. Um, yeah. so how are we making it like okay not safe necessarily but okay for people to say like I realized that my actions or my behaviors were racist I want to change them like what what I don't know where to start um and help them yeah yeah that's key how do we um and this came up in the last um in the conversation that I was having with Adelia and Jermaine and, and Rachel about the Dr. Bathia episode how do we pull people in yeah how do we, in, in calling them out, we have to pull them in so that, because we can't do this work alone. Right. We And we have to build our army, so to speak, 
of like-minded people. And so how do we pull people in who are still working through this um, to say, we, we get it. You feeling that way is part of the process and you don't need to run away from that. We just need to keep working through it, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Well, thank you for joining me today. This was a great conversation. Um, I'm sure the listeners will enjoy our reflection on episode four. Um, so thanks for joining today, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I want to end the episode with these words from Dr. Waite. There is not a prescribed path to the liberation of black bodies in this country. And just for clarity, you know, I want your listeners to understand that for me, um, my collective experiences to date, and this is not to say that there, I cannot have new information that might not shift my perspective on something because I absolutely can. However, my lived experiences as a black woman in my, my body, um, it's my belief that if we can liberate black folks, that will literally lead to the freedom of everybody else. Mm-hmm. I just believe that if we can free and liberate and secure the humanity and um, secure the acknowledgement um, in terms of uh, policies, practices, laws, um, and uh, in intangible ways for black people, then everybody else comes up and all black people. We can all get in this thing together. Mm-hmm. We can move <laughs> the needle to tackle our liberation. And so that's, that's, the, that's the, the, my approach to the work. That's, that's the lens that colors um, why I do the work the way that I do. Thank you again, Lisette, for joining me today to talk about episode four. Listeners, if you haven't had the chance to listen to the full episode with Dr. Waite, make sure you go back and check it out. If you want to learn more about the topics we talked about today, or have a question about what was shared, connect with us on Twitter at BX underscore AR team. Visit our website at sites.google.com backslash strongschools.nyc backslash Bronx Art, or send us an email. And don't forget to like our podcast and subscribe to know when we have uploaded new content. Thanks.